thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Last week we started our new series on Psalms and called it the playlist for our lives. And uh, this morning as I opened my Bible app, the verse of the day was this one. Come, Psalm 95, let's shout praises to God, raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence, singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. What an amazing uh, psalm that is. It goes on to say, because God, you're the best. Because God, you're the best. So today, we're looking at Psalm 13. And the theme is help. And uh, as I've driven to church this morning, I couldn't get the Beatles song out of my head that says, help, I need somebody. But then it goes, not just anybody. I need someone to help me. And actually, David, some of his psalms are cries for help. And you might be in that place today where you're crying for help, where where you're asking God to help. And David's experience is one of regularly saying, God, where are you? A little bit like the disciples in the boat with Jesus when he was asleep in the storm. And they said, do you not care? We're going to die. But Jesus said, no, actually, I do care. I do love you. But he was to teach them something in the storm to show them peace in the storm, and he promised them that he would get them to the other side. And that is his promise for you today as we look at this psalm. So if you've got a Bible, then turn to it. I've chosen psalms that are fairly short, so they're quite easy to read through the week. They'd be easy to learn. And today's psalm, there's two verses that would be great to learn, but they're the last two. So today it's Psalm 13, and it's going to be about help. Six verses. But before we get into that, Google is a brilliant invention, isn't it? Google is a fantastic thing. If you need to know something, then the answer could be at your fingertips in minutes. The danger, though, is we often go with the first answer. So everyone takes that as the true answer. But you've got to be careful. The most commonly asked question on Google by over 3 million from the second place question is this one. What is my IP? Now, some of you are asking the question, what even is an IP? But that is the most commonly asked question on Google. Below that comes, what is love? And we all know the answer is, baby, don't hurt me, baby, don't hurt me no more. Well, that's a, no, that's a, a pop song reference for you all the people. What is love? God is love. God is love is the answer. But Google perhaps doesn't come up with that. Below that comes, what time is it? Quite why, that's the most, one of the most Googled questions. What time is it? I'm sure there's better ways to find that out than to Google. And then in fourth place, surprisingly, comes, what do men want? That's, I think that's quite an incre- incredible question to ask on Google. What do men want? Um, yeah, well, who knows? Who knows? Maybe if you Google it, you'll get some ideas. Uh, Father's Day's quite a way off yet, so you're okay surprisingly, but there is one question that has probably been asked the most this year 
than any other year. And it's exactly the same question that David cries to God with. It's exactly the same question. And he asks it four times in this psalm. And the question he asks is, how long? How long is this going to go on for? Is that a question that's been on your lips this year? How long have we got to be putting up with each other? in our house? How long before we can go out for a meal? How long before I can go and play football with my friends? How long before we can get back into church? Well, I'll tell you, Easter Sunday, three weeks. So you can start booking in after today on the, on the 4th of April. And there's only 50 spaces, so please book early. But how long? Just over a year ago, we had our ladies' day in this building. Coronavirus was a thing that we saw on the telly that happened to other people. And it wasn't really affecting us. Isn't it incredible to see those views from just over a year ago? And yet it feels like we've been stuck in this loop for an absolute age. It feels like we've been in Groundhog Day. It feels like we just are never going to see the end. But the question we've asked is, how long? So today we look at Psalm 13, and it's an appropriate playlist for our life because it says, how long, God, I need your help. How long before you help? How long before you rescue? But before we read it, if you've got an NIV particularly, there's an instruction at the top of the psalm. And I just thought it was interesting because the instruction says this, for the choir director or for the director of music. Well, I read that actually that can mean that that's simply for God because he is the director of all things. He is the creator of the music that we sing and that we play. And he is the one who is in charge And that's what we want today, is we want to put God in the driver's seat. We want to put God in control, because he is the director, not just of music, but let him be the director of our lives. So let's read it. It's six verses long and packed full of things to talk about. And like many of the Psalms, 150 of them, it starts in a state of disorientation. But nearly always they end with that reorientation of where we need to be. So let's read. Psalm 13, verses 1 to 6, say this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I'm going to stop there. Those four verses show us the despair of David's heart. How long? Four times he says, how long? How long? How long? Sometimes it's not the trial we go through that is the problem, but it's the knowing how long it will last that makes the difference. Let me give you an example. When I run at the moment, I know I've talked about this, I don't want to bore you with my running and my fitness ability, but when I run at the moment, I know that it will be no longer than about 28 minutes. So sometimes I can get it to 27 and a little bit less because I'm doing 5K. So I know that my run will last that long. I can cope with that. It's worth going through the suffering of doing it. It's worth the rain and the wind. And I know that I will be stronger as a result of that run. And I know how long it is. If there was an easier way to get fit and to get healthy, 
I would grab it with both hands. If I could sit at home watching telly and eating chocolate and it would lose weight and get me fit, that I would be there. But actually, there isn't. But I know how long I have to go through it. Makes it easier. Makes it easier. When I went to university, some of you may know, I've not mentioned it for a while. I've got, I've got a degree in chemistry. Got to mention that occasionally, get my money's worth. I knew it was going to be three years, but with a year working. It actually turned into five years, but let's not talk about that one. Uh, but, but anyway, but I went to university, and maybe there's people watching today who know that for three or maybe four years, they've got to go through studying, they've got to go through testing, they've got to go through exams, they've got to do practical things. But actually, you know, when you get to the end of that, if you've put all that effort in, if you've gone through those struggles and those trials, then in the end, we will be improved and stronger in mind and capability, in theory. Depends which degree you've got. Controversial. Hey, not true. We know we'll be improved, and we know we'll be stronger in mind. Kids on a car journey. Here's the common question. You get asked it more than four times. How long? How long? Are we nearly there yet? It doesn't seem to matter if they know how long it's going to take to get there. They still need a wee just after you've passed the exit for the services, don't they? It's always the case. They still need to stop just after you've driven past the entrance and you can't do anything about it. Or those kids saying, how long, how long are we nearly there yet? They fall asleep just before you get home and you want them to stay awake because they've got all day to do it. Or maybe they keep asking even when they know how long it is. How long, how long, how long? David asks four times of God, how long, God? How long am I going to go through this? And he asks four different things. The first time he asks this, how long will you forget me? Does God forget us? I don't believe he does. He loves us. He loves us because he loves us. And he's proved that again and again and again and again. But David says, I feel like I've been forgotten. I'm going through this really difficult time and I feel, God, like you've forgotten about me. How long is it going to go on for? How long will I feel like that? Do you know, it's not nice to be forgotten about, is it? I can remember as a, a young boy, only a couple of times being forgotten about being picked up from school. And my school was a bus ride away. I couldn't walk home uh, and I was forgotten about. And I felt quite sad. I don't think I ever forgot you, Joel, did I? No, can't have happened. Maybe Chloe, who knows. But um, David feels forgotten. He feels like God isn't giving him any attention. And maybe that's your situation today. Maybe you feel like the attention isn't on you. And that actually things are too tough. Well, Sturgeon writes this. Sorry, Spurgeon, not Sturgeon. That's my spell check has changed. That's Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon. Sturgeon's a fish. It wasn't him that wrote it. But anyway, Spurgeon writes this, that there is nowhere in the Psalms that David hasn't felt lower or that David hasn't felt on a higher mountain than we could ever be. There is nowhere in the Psalms, these playlists for our lives, where David hasn't been lower than us or hasn't been in a better place than us. Life swings from highs to lows. But David still says, but God, how long will you forget me? How long will you forget me? But verse 5 is a reorientation that we'll come back to. Because verse 5 starts with, but I will trust in your unfailing love. His feelings, in the end of the psalm, his feelings come into line with what he knows to be true. His feelings 
come into line with the fact that he knows he can trust God. Because God's love is unfailing. And so we know we are not forgotten. We are unforgotten, if you like. How long? Second thing is, how long will you hide your face from me? As I read that, it's quite relevant at the moment, isn't it? How long will you hide your face from me? You know, Chloe the other day was sharing how she quite likes wearing a mask because she likes her eyes and she likes this part of her face. But actually, she feels that this part of her face is far nicer than this part of her face. I said, you're just beautiful, Chloe, you know, because that's what your dad's supposed to say. It's true, she is. But she said, I like wearing my mask because actually... I look nice from there up. But God doesn't hide his face from us. Whether it's a physical mask we wear sometimes and we hide bits we don't want people to see or whether actually it's a mask we put on to hide our real faces from each other and from God, God himself does not hide his face from us. God is there to be sought. In fact, we read in Isaiah that Isaiah responded to seeing God's glory with these words. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, it tells of this experience Isaiah had of the temple being filled with the presence of God. And it says this, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this was what Isaiah's response was to seeing God's glory. Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What was Isaiah's response to seeing God in that situation? Isaiah was a prophet, remember. He was a man of God, but in seeing God in this situation, his response was, I am ruined. Why? Because he knew that he wasn't being completely obedient to God. That he wasn't being perfect. He said, my lips are unclean. Some of the things that come out of my mouth are not right. Some of the things that come out of my head and my heart are not right. And he said, I am ruined. So maybe sometimes we're not seeking God's face in the right place. But let us remember this, that in the New Testament, when Jesus died and rose again, in that moment that he died and he gave up his last and he said, it is finished, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God because the presence of God would be too much for them. Through Jesus' death, it was free to enter into. It was free to come before him with praise. We thought about that last week. And Isaiah's response to seeing God's face is, I am ruined. Today, we can enter his courts. We can enter his presence. And he does not hide his face from us. Maybe, just maybe, we don't spend enough time actually looking for his face. Maybe, just maybe, we're looking for his face in the wrong places. We're looking to see his face in the places we want to see them. We're looking to see his face where we want to be. Maybe our repentance is a bit partial. Maybe our repentance isn't complete. People often talk about repenting. It's a very old-fashioned word, but it literally means to turn from facing in that direction to turn and face in this direction. So when we repent of our sins, when we say sorry and we ask for forgiveness from God, instead of looking at that old life and all those, the things that we used to do, we turn 
and we turn and say, God, I'm going to follow you. That's behind me. I don't want that thing anymore. I just want you. So maybe sometimes our repentance actually goes from here more to here. And we're still trying to keep an eye on both things. Maybe we're trying to keep an eye a bit on God's face and we're trying to get a glimpse of God's face while actually still having a glimpse of that old life, having a glimpse of the old. Maybe our repentance only comes halfway, but you know what? God still forgives fully, but he wants us to turn completely and trust in him. He wants us to fix our eyes. We've sung this morning, we lift our eyes to you, exalted one. Not, I'm going to go cross-eyed looking over here and over here. We need to fully turn to see the face of God. You know, the Bible tells us all about this because in the beginning, God walked in the garden with man and woman face to face. God spent time in the garden face to face with man and woman. What stopped that? What stopped that from happening? Disobedience, sin. That's what stopped that from happening because God doesn't want to be in the presence of sin. He can't stand sin. And yet, we tend to hide from God. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they'd been disobedient? They hid themselves from God. God still came down to meet them. God still came to walk with them in that garden. And they hid because they were ashamed. We tend to hide from God. And maybe we don't want that connection with him until it suits us. Until we think it's time. Until we're in a bit of a difficult spot. And we cry out, help. I need somebody. At least we can say, not just anybody. Because we need the king. How long will you hide your face? Lot's wife is an example to us in Genesis chapter 19. If you've got time, have a read of it. There is rescue and salvation from a city that is full of all kinds of evil. If you read it, what's been happening to them as a family, it's horrendous. You know, this week has been full of some pretty tragic and shocking news in our country. Some pretty horrendous episodes in in the life of England. And yet actually... You read the story of Lot and his family, and they were escaping from a city that was evil, a city where things that were going on that were unimaginable. But you know, even in the middle of that rescue from destruction, even in the middle of that salvation from from being wiped out, what does Lot's wife do? She takes her eyes off the destination. She takes her eyes off the rescue. She takes her eyes off where she's going to be saved And she looks back at the stuff being left behind. She looks back longingly to that place of evil, to that place where horrendous, unspeakable things happen. And what is the result? She dies. Maybe sometimes we're not seeing or hearing because we're looking the wrong way. And instead of looking forwards, we're consistently looking back. God says, seek me and you'll find. God says, seek me first, and you will receive. Do you know, being a Christian is not a part-time thing. It's not a hobby we pick up on different days. It's not something we say, yeah, I'll be a Christian today. It's Sunday. I'll put my Sunday best on. I'll put my Sunday smile on. No, being a Christian is a daily taking up of our cross 
of daily saying, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to walk towards you. I'm going to obey you. What we've read already in recent weeks in 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. Being a Christian is not, I'll have a time of prayer there. Pray continually. Rejoice always. This morning, if nothing else, if you are a Christian, if you've said, yeah, I, I want forgiveness from that old life, I want to say sorry for that past, and I want to start anew in God, then stop turning around and going back there. Stop turning around and looking that way, because when we look that way, that's when we start crying for help, and then we turn and go, God, I need you. Start off looking that way. Seek him first. The third how long, David says, is how long will I wrestle with my own thoughts and be stuck in sorrow? Maybe that's where our problem is at the moment. Maybe our how long is we're stuck in, we're isolated, we're on our own, and all we're wrestling with is the thoughts that go through our heads. Do you know the craziest of things can go through your mind at any time of day? The craziest of things. And the devil is more than capable of putting a thought in there, but he can't read what you're thinking. I believe in this battle that encouragement and discouragement is a key thing. Even the unsaid thing can make our brain go crazy and we start to listen to our own thoughts more than the truth that God has continually told us. Our own thoughts can drag us down. Maybe in your head you hear the words, you're a mistake, you're an accident. Can I say, no, you're not. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe in your head you hear you're hopeless. No, you're not. The Bible says you've been created to do good works for him. He has a purpose for you and a plan that is good. How long will I wrestle with my thoughts? Give those thoughts to God. It says take every thought captive. Get a hold of it and say, chuck it in the past. I'm going to believe the truth that God says about me. I'm going to believe that I'm loved. I'm going to believe that I have a hope that is certain. I'm going to believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am perfect in his eyes, and that actually he loves me because he loves me. The fourth how long that David says is quite personal. How long must I be beaten by my enemy? I am a very competitive person, you know, I'm a very competitive person. I don't like to lose. My brother, actually, is even more competitive. I've mentioned it before. Even so much so that he was banned from playing in the leaders' campus football match at our youth camp because he used to get so competitive, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. So he became the referee. I don't know if that was any better, personally, because he still got a bit, uh, yeah, well, let's not go there. But I can be competitive, and I don't like losing. If you've ever seen me, Ros will not come to a quiz with me because I get so competitive. And she, she doesn't like the fact that she'll give one right answer that I'll go, I don't, not sure. are you sure about it? And she won't be so sure. So I'll think, oh, I'll ignore it. And I'm terrible. I am terrible. I know that. When it feels like we're losing and the enemy is gloating, how long, God? How long will they succeed when actually I'm trying to do your will? Or maybe those that aren't following Christ seem to have it all. I want you to know this this morning. Ultimately, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one of God's family, we will have all the eternity with God because he's won the victory. He has beaten the enemy. 
He's won the victory over sin and death. He's won the victory over addictions and illness. He's won the victories of provision and victories of eternal magnitude. So don't store up the stuff on the earth that will get moths and burgled. Stir up the stuff that will last for eternity. Go for the stuff that will last. I've read quite a lot this week about the instant gratification test. It's the marshmallow test. You might have seen it. They've done modern versions of it where they sit a child of about three to five, six years old on a chair at a table. And in front of them on the table is a plate with a marshmallow on it. And they say to them, I'm going to go for a couple of minutes. If I come back and your marshmallow is still on the plate, you can have a second marshmallow as well. And so they go out and they filmed them. And some of these children are getting the marshmallows, sticking it up their nose, having a good sniff. Some of them are licking it because they just want, some of them are just having a bit of a nibble to see if they can have a little bit. And there are some of those children who will just eat it as soon as the person's gone out of the room. They don't get the extra marshmallow because they want it now. They want instant gratification. And the interesting thing is they have tracked those children through life and they've gone to see them many years later and the ones who ate the marshmallow without waiting are simply not as happy or as successful as the ones who've waited patiently. God calls us sometimes to wait patiently. David cries out, how long will it be before help comes? How long will it be before you look to me? We live in an age where we want to know when. When is my delivery coming? When's my Amazon parcel coming? We want next day delivery. We want it then. And if it doesn't turn up, oh, no more like it used to be in the old days where you had to, photographs. This isn't in my notes. Photographs. You know, you take a photo on your phone, it's there. We used to have to fill a box full of about 28 photographs, take it to the chemist, send it off for about a month, and then maybe you just get back all these pictures with your finger across the lens and all sorts of things. You know, we had to wait. Now you just retake it. How long? Even with us delivering the food parcels with the hub, we get people who are like, what time are you coming? Because uh, I want to go out. But David reorientates himself. And that's what God is calling us to do this morning as we come to the end. Verses 5 and 6 are key verses. Read them, remember them, memorize them. That's the same as remember them, isn't it? But anyway, read them. Verses five and six, David, having said, how long, how long, how long, how long? Says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Why? For he has been good to me. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Even in a psalm where we're crying out for help, he needs to remember that God is still God. Remember, the theme of the psalms is that God reigns. It's examples that God reigns, that God rules. The psalms remind us of that, and we need to get back before him, and we need to put him back on the throne and say, God, how long but you reign? You are the ruler. David's answer to his thoughts and feelings, David's answer to his struggles is this, I'll trust because God's love is unfailing. I'll rejoice because I'm saved. I will sing the Lord's praise because he's been good to me. That's the three responses David gives to his doubts. He finally 
at the end of this psalm, takes his eyes off the problem and fixes them on the solution. He takes his eyes off his struggles and he fixes them on the Savior. So, the playlist of our life today might have a time for crying out for help. There might be times of how long, Lord. There might be times of being forgotten and feeling forgotten and thinking God has just hidden from us. But David in this psalm teaches this, that we can still trust in his unfailing love, that we can still rejoice in the one who has saved us, that we can still sing his praise because he is good. He is good. Today, you might be crying out for help. You might be like those disciples in the storm saying, wake up, Jesus, do you not care? Of course he cared. He was with them in the boat. He told them they were going to get to the other side. Stop looking back. And start living in full repentance with our faces fixed on God. Go in the path that he wants us to go. Don't try and live with feet in both camps and an eye looking both ways. You'll get very sore eyes and eventually you'll do the splits. This morning, what does David teach? Sometimes we're not obeying, but he teaches that trust, rejoicing, and praising are some of the solutions in those darkest times. To know we can trust in his unfailing love and to know that we rejoice in his praise. Let's pray. Father God, I pray today for anyone who is stuck in a routine or in a rhythm of asking how long, how long, how long, how long. Pray for anyone who is wrestling with their own thoughts this morning. Father, the enemy wants to beat us down. The enemy wants to beat us down and he often uses our own voice to do it. Father God, may we be a culture of encouragers. May we be a culture of building people up. May we be a culture where we learn to say, whatever's going on, God has got me. Whatever I'm going through, God is with me. Whatever I will face in the future, he faces it with me. And my eternity is secure. Father, stop us from longing after the stuff that rots. And Father, fix our eyes on the stuff that lasts for eternity. Father, I pray for people who have have lost their sight of you a little bit during this last year. Father, I pray for people who, uh, yeah, who, who perhaps have stopped looking for you in the right places. Father, help us to choose to look for you in your word. Help us to choose to look for you in your praise. Help us to choose to look for you in connect groups, in church, in all those places. Father, help us not to just say, God, we expect you to be where we are. But Father, help us to be people who join on your journey who join with you and see what you're doing. So Father, I pray for anyone this morning who's watching who doesn't know you, who is still looking at that old life or is still stuck in the middle of that old life. Father God, I pray, Lord, that they will turn from it 180 degrees to face the King, the one who saves, the one who is good and the one who we can trust when all else fails. In Jesus' name. Amen.